This is my own private domicile and I will not be harassed! Bitch! Gangsters, what's up guys? What's the grant to a motherfucker like me? Can you please remind me? Get the world by the tail! Fat broads and horse-faced lesbians. Cute as shit. Oh, 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 skip, skip, skip. If you don't chew big red, then f you. That's so horny. Could you imagine if I hit the old water pipe with that thing? Oh. Great cash, homie. Three, two, one, let's fuck! Everybody's got to hear the shit on W Balls, W Balls, W Balls. Episode of the Do Not Listen to This Podcast Conversation Series. My name is Sam Lacrosse. I am your host. Can you dig it? I can. And I am here with a very, very special guest. And I say that almost every time that I start off this podcast and this podcast type, especially. But this person is a very, very special guest to me because he is one of my best friends. He is probably my earliest friend outside of my family, if I can remember, because we are technically family, even though we are not immediate family. We are related. Uh, he is my cousin. We're related through. Uh, our adults, our parents, my father and his mother being siblings, my mom being an older sibling to him. So my cousin, Austin Getz, is joining with us on the podcast today. Austin, thanks for coming on, man. Of course, man. And we are coming off of, we were just talking about this. We, uh, it was actually a perfect time because I told you earlier, we were, I, this is one of the first podcasts I wanted to do. One, because I think you're a very interesting person. You have a very interesting perspective on a lot of things. And second, we know each other really well. We've known each other for so you, I'm going to be 25 in two months. You're only about a year younger than I am. So we've known each other basically yeah. I was one years old. So, I mean, you're probably my oldest friend outside of my family. And I think so we've grown up and you grew up 10 minutes from my house. So, I mean, we every, I remember almost every weekend growing up, we would see each other in some form or fashion. I would either yeah. go to your guys' place. You guys mainly lived in the same house my entire life. We lived in basically one of the, one of two houses our entire lives. So your house is a fixture in my life. I'm very close to your parents. I'm very close to your sister. I lived with you guys for a little bit for about two weeks for, you know, a certain yeah. amount of time during a winter break a couple uh, a couple of years ago when I was in college. So we know each other very, very well at this point. And you are coming off of, give me an opportunity to ask you up here, the biggest achievement of your professional academic career life. And you just murdered the LSAT, murdered it. And you have been talking about it, like you said, about coming on since high school. You have been thinking, wanting to be a lawyer, wanting to get into the political realm for a very long time. So I want to give you an opportunity to speak about that, but I want to start off by saying congratulations because not only did you pass the LSAT, you killed the LSAT. You're going to get set yourself up for a really, really big opportunity here coming up. So congratulations, good sir. Thank you so much. I'm I'm, I'm humbled. You know. Yeah, yeah, man. It's you said you said what the point zero one percent you you scored in. Yeah, it, I, I still don't I still don't believe that I did it. So I'm just taking some time to process it. So. It's fucking unreal, man. It really is. It's so crazy because it's like, you know, so many people I know, especially I was just a stupid business student in college. And I remember even people that were, had business undergrad degrees are saying, I'm going to go into law school. I had obviously people like you who wanted to either go into politics or go into law, do all this other kind of stuff and really have those ambitions right from the jump. And this is the this is the apex, right? This is what everyone who does this is aiming towards. 
And, you know, this is the make or break thing. Like you said, you said around, it makes up around 70% of your law school application status is this exam. And yeah. you're going in and really doing this. It's a really big deal when you go out and do as well as you did, and especially placed in the percentile that you did, which is so awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's crazy because it's it just, unfortunately, law schools just rely so heavily on the numbers. I really wish they didn't. Yep. But, you know, in today's society, you know, academics have to you let people in by some metrics. So I guess this is how they're going to do it. It has to be something. I mean, it, it, it yeah. just kind of sucks that it can't be more multifaceted, I would say. But I mean, in terms yeah. of like, you know, it would be so hard to accommodate people and like get to know like Austin gets as a person or get to know me as a person or somebody else when applying through all this stuff. So you have Absolutely. to have kind of a, a cutoff or whatever. And I think that's kind of where to that point, I should say, you know, kind of you accomplishing this very, very hard thing to accomplish, which is passing the LSAT and doing all this thing. And you have worked at this for like, you're one of honestly the most driven people I've ever met in your entire life because you have oh, my you. entire life because you have, you have had a singular vision of this for a very, very long time, ever since we were teenagers, we were talking about this. And so you, I remember in, at least when you got into high school, you were talking about going into law, going into this type of arena and doing all this other thing. And here you are almost a decade later and, and you're here. And it's crazy because like you've had this in your, in your head, in the front of your head, because you're a very, very driven person. You're almost, I would say, borderline obsessive about accomplishing your goals about this kind of stuff because you work so hard at it. And so the, the way I want to start this out is the first thing, ironically, or not ironically, I guess, that I saw of your desire to get into both law and the politics was the show Parks and Rec with Amy, Amy Kohler and uh, Ron Swanson, all these other people who are kind of doing our Amy Kohler, excuse me, all these other people that were doing all this kind of stuff. And yeah. I remember you watching the show and I was only watching The Office at the time, like The Office just starting to blow up. This is probably around like 2012 or 2013 or something like that when Netflix was really kind of hosting all these shows and everything. And you were telling me like, dude, you got to fucking watch Parks and Rec. You got to watch Parks and Rec. It's a great show. It's a great show. And I'm like, yeah, I, I don't know. It's like kind of like it's just a knockoff versus the office, whatever. And then I watched it eventually in college and I loved it. And I love it more than the office now. So you have always held that show in high regard. And that show is about local politics, it's about local law, all this other kind of stuff. So what specifically about that show to you was both influential to you and why do you think that show wanted you want to make you excuse me take the leap and really dive headfirst into the direction that you eventually took your life into yeah so i guess you know i i think um i think the concept of like working for others is was like a critical aspect of the show like amy Poehler always just wanted to help others i mean um the the beginning of the the show like she's helping and um i I haven't seen the show in a while. I believe it's in. Yeah. She, um, yeah, she, she like had this pit outside that Chris Pratt fell into and that kind of thing. She's helping and she, all she, all she wants to do is help people. Right. And so, um, politics became a, a way for her to like, kind of be herself of like this, this really big helper and someone who just wants to help people and go over the top for, for other people. Um, and I, I think it really did kind of bring out the concept of politics as like helping others. Um, and you know, just kind of ensuring society is like functional for the people at shoulders. Um, even if even if politics itself tends to kind of be riddled with these undesired and mundane um, processes and people. Mm -hmm. um, and I always just I always really did personally enjoy helping people on my own and using my own kind of my own individual unique talents and gifts um, to just put a smile on people's face, you know, and in the end, I, I feel like that's what politics really is about. And unfortunately, People, people do often forget that. Um, and I think this show, this, this show is just mainly a reminder of what politics was originally meant to be about, the people, 
and like you know it's a it talks about what paul it's really about what about politics should be you know yeah. what would it should be it's not about you know idolizing these people it's about trying to like help people and serve people you know yeah and i think that's a very interesting point for a couple reasons because I think we get so obsessed with the national level of politics and maybe some of the state stuff with like governors and senators and stuff like that. But the thing about Parks and Rec that's so interesting about the point that you raised was that it it is a local government. It is a branch of local government that's doing everything. And I think to your point about helping people, I have a natural skepticism. And I think honestly, you might as well about you know, politicians wanting to serve others and help yes. people do all these things. Yeah. And I think it's natural to have that skepticism and natural skepticism about the political arena itself. But, you know, you really do get to see that at the local level where they kind of, you know, you are in a small town in Indiana, in this example, in the Parks and Rec example, and you get to see the people actually interacting with other people. And you get to see kind of yeah. how they play out in the local community and everything. So I never thought about it from that way. And I think that's the aspect of helping others and really truly serving people is so lost in the sauce and the political discourse because you get so mired up in like the the latest thing that the president is doing or everything like that. And we kind yeah. of get so caught up in it that we forget that that is actually the true purpose of the political arena is to serve other people. Exactly. And it's it's ironic too that the higher up you get on the ladder, the further away you are from the people, when in reality it should be the reverse where the higher you up, you should be closer with the people. Yeah, um, that's yeah. just not the case. Do you know how that works, by the way, especially like with I've always been so curious about this, like with, with House of Representatives, you know, people from, you know, states, especially because say like I live in Austin, you live now you're yeah. down in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. So like, for example, in, in your case, like in Fort Lauderdale, like if someone were to, you know, do they live in Fort Lauderdale if they serve in the House or do they live in D.C. and commute back because they are representing a congressional district? But yes, you know, so how yeah, does that work? I, I'm always so curious about that. This is super. I've got some cool examples for this. Yeah, one. sure. Yeah. So, so basically, most of the time, they sometimes they if they've been in politics for a long time, like McCon- Mitch McConnell and other people, they have a house in D.C. and a house in their home district, where they right. or home state uh, rather, where they will commute back and forth. And a lot of times, they tend to commute back and forth because Congress um, only meets certain times of the year, and so. Um, right. Sometimes they can just chill in their state or chill in D.C. Like, um, I know a lot of novice Congress people will actually sleep in their offices in the Capitol building. Um, really? Sometimes, yeah, because they just haven't found a place yet or they can't afford, like, to just stay in a hotel every time. Um, yeah. And so it's it's very interesting stuff because these people um, kind of are forced to commute in that in and of itself almost gives you almost like an entry, an entry um, kind of like a hurdle for people who – are lower income who are very representative of their district right. who might be lower income. You, it's yeah. almost like guarantees that someone of that, of a more representative perspective is not going to get elected because quite frankly, who can afford to go back and forth and live, live in both places. Sure. Especially, you know, if that person, you know, when, especially like, let's just say, for example, I mean, there's a lot of money in South Florida where you're currently residing right now. So let's just say oh, yeah. you, you, yeah, you, you, you do have more of a salt of the earth person, potentially like, you know, a, an immigrant or somebody from minority community or somebody like that that's like lived in that environment for their whole life. Like their grandparents lived there. They kind of grew up, you know, very close to them and whatever. And then you say you have like a very successful business guy come in and want to, you know, just say, you know, hey, I've done the whole business thing. I've made millions of dollars. I want to play politics now. And they come in and they get yeah. all their fancy donor friends to pour in money and they beat out that person who's actually more representative to your point of that district. And they force them out just because of the lack of resources that they might have to somebody yep. who just have a big ego and pushing them out. 
Yeah, that, that goes to another big thing that I want to support um, when I when I go into politics one day is we just really need to just stop whatever we're doing. Like the campaign financing has just got to stop. It's it's got we've got to have caps on every single campaign that is run in this country because we the reason 99 percent of Congress literally has no idea how these how average people even think or feel right. is because it encourages older, more wealthy people to enter the rain because they are oh. the only ones who can really afford, you know, to, sure. to finance their campaigns. And if we put yes. caps on it, the entry gap goes way down. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that would really, really just change our country for the better, in my opinion. God, I have never thought about that before. The, so it, that's the reason why so many old people are running a country that, you know, is, is where all the young people like you and I are wanting a lot of stuff to change. And I'm yeah. not you and I specifically, I think very broadly, we want things to say, and we're saying like, why are all these, you know, like, I, I don't know if you remember when uh, Mark Zuckerberg was called in front of Congress and uh, Orrin Hatch asked him, a senator from, former senator from Utah, he asked him, you know, how does Facebook make money? Like, like how is Facebook operational if they yeah. don't, you know, if no one has to pay to use Facebook? And, yeah. Zucker, and, and Zuckerberg's answer, was now, which is now famous, is he laughed and he said, Senator, we run ads. And so like people who are, and this is, you know, Orrin Hatch is a, a one of a hundred people who are the representatives for a specific thing that is, that does not know how the biggest social media platform that has ever existed in the entire world makes money. Well, like, like yeah. that's a severe issue. And so I was thinking that is so interesting that all the old people generally just from, I would say lifespan and also knowing people networking, all this other stuff, they have the money to finance campaigns and they just do that because they, you know, they do that because they have the money and they can enter races easily and beat out maybe younger people who are more scrappy and might have better ideas, but they just don't have the resources yeah. to do that. That's super interesting. Exactly. And you know, it's, it's almost kind of a shame because it's like, I, I, there are plenty of older people that I know that could just pick this trade up, like knowing, oh, okay, this new technology is going on and it's a big thing in our country. They'll read about it in, in like a day, they'll learn about it and be well-versed in it. Sure. But it just goes to almost not to sound petty, but it almost goes to goes to show you that like a lot of these Congress people are kind of maybe not unintelligent, but are rather almost like intellectually incompetent and in that they can't even adapt to the new situations that this country's facing, which yeah. I would almost pose as a uh, pose would be, or I would almost propose would be almost like a national security problem because I if our legislature can't even adapt to making new bills and regulating the internet and regulating certain things, like well, how are we even going to survive as technology continues to evolve yeah yeah i agree. i think that you know a good example probably the best analogy i've seen of, of that specific thing in general is that um i don't agree with everything that andrew yang says i think very opposite of him on a lot of different things but i think yang was so refreshing to me because he seemed like the only person in major political discourse that was talking about genuinely new ideas about how to do certain things and i think the best analogy that he ever said was that we're running, you know, the way that the U.S. government is running in terms of modern America, it's like running the space program of today on the hardware that ran the space program that lost, launched the space shuttle in 1969. It's just outdated mm -hmm. hardware. And so we're running a very, very complex software system on hardware that's basically 50 or 70 years old. We need to update exactly. the hardware to support the software, which, you know, is it's very, very frustrating to see. And I think that a lot of people feel the way that you do. And that kind of leads me into what I want to talk about next was that, so like I said, you're a very driven person. You say it's consistent with this ever since you, ever since high school, this is the re, like, earlier, yeah. back in like the early mid 2010s when we were talking about this. And so 
I graduated in 2016, you graduated in 2017. And if you remember, there was a lot of stuff going around 2016, 2017, all that kind of stuff. And yeah. you know, Trump got elected in 2016, a lot of craziness happened therefore after. So our political exposure for the most part, and when we were adults and were able to kind of comprehend what's going on, was in the most turbulent time in America, and I, in my opinion, in a very, very long time, politically, at least domestically, politically. And yeah, so, I would agree with that. Yeah, we've seen a lot of shit. Like we've seen, I remember um, talking with with grandma about this, and even in the last three years, I mean, we've seen, so, like we've seen a lot of shit. I mean, we saw the 2020 election, <laughs> we've seen January 6th, we've seen COVID, we've seen, you know, all this other, like the, all this other kind of stuff. We've seen the, the BLM protests and riots. You've seen all this other kind of stuff. We've seen yeah. you know, all this, all this, all these things. And so- there's been a lot of stuff that's gone on, a lot of not great stuff in a lot of those sentences. So why have you stayed the course throughout so much turmoil? And, and what is the driving force for you to really kind of be in the arena when so many people are fleeing and saying they want no part of this? They want no, you know, no hat in the ring in terms of law, being a lawyer, being a politician, especially. Yeah. You, you alluded to helping people earlier. And is that I'm wondering if that's the primary reason why you've stayed and why have you stayed when so many people have been fled for the hills, including any aspirations for me, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I mean, helping people is definitely the the centerpiece of it. Um, but I'd also say I, I think the turmoil is almost what motivates me. Um, the the hatred, division, and all this like blatant misinformation and just lies that are going around our, our political environment right now in this country and around the world, too. I mean, uh, that right. it, it basically... It, it's just kind of it's a reminder to me that things can and I believe personally will get better if people just have hope and you know if they have someone who's just kind of there to like bring hope to people even if they're not even if they're not the most efficient politician just someone who can like be a symbol of hope for both sides and for everybody which would be almost impossible really but just be a, a, a beacon of hope for as many people as possible um, and to, especially for the people that feel like they've been left behind, um, so that our society is in, essential so that our society can lift itself up and really remain standing. Yeah. Do, do you think that there is, so you have the optimism and you have the hope that if the right people get inside, things will get better. Absolutely. Do you, do you get the sense that those people you were talking about, like, I mean, we come from Ohio, we come from the Midwest where the, basically that is like forgotten man USA, like in the Midwest of, of the country, in my opinion. And I think that, do you have the sense that the people that do believe that they've been forgotten by the elite class, the ruling class, whatever you want to call them, politicians, the business people, everything like that, do you have hope that you, that those people will get on board if the right people arise? I think, you know, that's a good question. I think it's possible. I mm -hmm. think a lot of the problem right now is that misinformation has completely, it's just completely destroyed how people think and what they think is real and what they think is not. So a lot of times it makes it, them easier to, it's easier for them to be manipulated, but not always by the right people. And yeah. um, so it makes it very difficult to unite people under one flag when in reality, you could say the flag is not even the color that it actually is and people will not go under it, you know, right, I mean, right. I, yeah. weird metaphor, but no, I, I agree with you. And when you say, yeah. when you say misinformation, that's such a loaded term nowadays, but do you mean just yeah. kind of like basically political propaganda that you see on like the mainstream news networks and everything like that? Like just talking yeah. heads, like blathering. Is that what you mean by that? Uh, so misinformation normally would be um, just falsehoods, um, just theories, falsehoods that just have no truthful backing behind it okay. um, yep. like election being stolen stuff like that that's just 
factually mm -hmm. proven to be false, but people believe wow. because it's pushed by people that they believe in. Yeah. Um, so that that's kind of the most dangerous thing that's going on in our country. And I think that's that's the hurdle that this country needs to overcome before to truly, you know, get people on the same page, because right now we're not even on the same page. We're not even on the same book. We're probably not even in the yeah. same library, to be honest. Well, yeah, no, it's it's like, you know, to, to that thing about the election being stolen. I don't know if you have um, HBO Max or, or whatever the HBO streaming service is. But I watched a couple months ago, I watched the documentary uh, or the docu-series rather on QAnon. And dude, let me tell you something about that was the craziest shit I have ever watched in my entire life. Because yes, yeah. your point about, about the election being stolen, I don't know if you've seen it or if you've heard about it. It's, it's a Colin Hoback documentary. It's definitely worth watching. Okay, yeah, I, I studied QAnon. That was one of the things I focused on. Really? Um, yeah, in my undergrad, we focused heavily on misinformation. QAnon. Oh, please, please, I would say, please expand on this. This is so interesting to me. Yeah, I mean, honestly, it's it's really much more simpler than people think it is. They think it's just some complex thing. It's just that people believe, they propose theories, and people believe in them. And a yeah. lot of times the people proposing these theories have ulterior political motives, and they're these lies these theories are more powerful than any bomb anyone can make yeah i i agree with you and i think they're more potent you, and you leave you you look at the people that are kind of the the true believers in things like QAnon. there's the other people that are on yeah. the left as well but this is primarily a right layer it's definitely a right-leaning conspiracy theory but you you see the people like ron watkins who is most likely q and like leading all this other kind of stuff yeah and that guy is a full-blown sociopath like he he showed shows no emotion know anything and you see the people on you know the, the qtubers as you call them youtube people that were really like like the priests of QAnon. they basically wanted to do all the stuff that you know believed that like hillary clinton was eating babies in the bottom of a pizza hut somewhere and all this other kind yeah. of yeah all that kind of stuff it is so interesting how that stuff were and terrifying to your point how that stuff works yeah, so horrifying it really is very very horrifying yeah, it's, and it's so a very, it's a very potent weapon that people can use to sow disunion um, yeah, I yeah, I agree. I agree. And it's it's kind of it's it's so bizarre to me. It really, really is. And to that mm -hmm. issue, you have said, or you just said actually, that you the primary reason for you to go into politics is to help people. And I believe that because I know you, and I think that you're going to do really, really good things when you get into politics. Even though we, if we agree, disagree on some other things, I think the net positive yeah. will far outweigh the net negative that anyone would probably say. And do you believe that? And we kind of touched on this earlier, but in the people that are the really prominent political figures nowadays, do you think that they're in it to help people or do you think they're in it for something else? You know, um, I'm going to be honest. Unfortunately, not many people go into politics because they want to help people. It's it's filled with a very undiverse group of elderly, rich and powerful people with a very similar perspective and upbringing. Um, mm -hmm. and family background and this lack of variety among these people um, that we've allowed to represent our country, um, it, it gives people less opportunity to enter the political arena. It kind of as we touched on before. Yeah, it crowds them out. Um, absolutely, it weeds it weeds people out. It's a barrier to entry. Um, and you know, the few that truly do wish to help people are tend to be brushed off as crazy or unrealistic, right. or simply because people are either not used to these types of people in power, or because they're quite frankly just not educated enough on these issues that pe these people are pushing. Yeah. And so it's easier for people to say, "Oh, don't believe what this person says." And the other people say, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll believe, we'll take your word for it and just kind of oppose this newbie, this new, you know, helper politician, so to speak, um, because the ideas are not familiar to them. Right. Um, and, you know, uh, you know, politics is just a very hard game to enter at the moment. And 
uh, although I personally won't bash any individual politicians here, you know, um, yeah, many, no, yeah, please, yeah, yeah no. many, many people in power are just concerned with their own personal welfare, their own personal gain, and for the gain of those and them, those around them, especially their families and their friends. Yep. Um, and most of them tend to manipulate people with certain backgrounds and perspectives because they truly think that they can bring votes in, they can keep themselves wealthy and powerful. Mm-hmm. And obviously, it's 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 a sociopath sport, uh, unfortunately, nowadays. Is- and it, it's it's sadly become a game of lies rather than a sport of truth. And I truly, I truly at least hope to change that for all sides of the arena, at least as much as I can. You know, only one person can do so much, and I'm not right. a superhero here. I'm a yeah. human, you know, and, and, and quite frankly, I still care about the people regardless of what they believe. I just want people to to see the truth and see the light in these things a little bit, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I think that it, it's very interesting because, you know, I wonder what manipulates, particularly like to your point, and I agree with this, the, the older folks to enter the political arena after they have mostly lived a life of very, very prominent success in a lot of cases for a lot of people. Like they were either successful in business or they were lawyers or they had really, really good lives. I I think actually Trump is the epitome of this because, you know, Trump was the most, he was the least necessary person to go into politics from the the point of he had billions of dollars. He had like, oh, he was, he was famous. He had, he had everything. He could have just ripped off into the sunset, but he didn't. And he went in anyway. And a lot of other people can say that from both the left and the right. And I think that, do you think that I have a theory about this that I might want to voice later, but do you think it's it's a vanity thing? Do you think it's like a legacy thing? Do you think it's like, do you think it's a power thing? Like, like what do you think is the primary motivator for a lot of these people? I think if you look into their psyche, a lot of these guys are pretty narcissistic. Um, I mean, it That's- takes, you have to have some sort of, you know, I've always said you have to have some sort of sense of self superiority to to think that you are capable of leading other people or representing other sure. people. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, and, you know, I don't have that. I suppress it as much as possible, but I do have enough confidence in myself where I think I am capable of helping other people through leadership. And, mm-hmm. you know, it takes a, it takes a little bit of an ego to, to do that, admittedly. And, yep. um, you know, I think a lot of these people do it for the ego. They do it for the power. They do it because they think they, they do it because they want to prove that they can. You know, I, I think sure. that a lot of yeah. people, Trump included, I think a lot of them just say, you know what, I'm going to do this because I can because I think I can and because what's stopping me, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, living, living, doing the same thing for years on end, and then they get the opportunity to lead a bunch of people in politics. It, 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 to some, it may be almost a form of entertainment. I agree. Um, I agree. And I think the, the other thing, I, I don't know if you would agree with this or not. I think that the, the, the people that go into politics late, a lot of them, not all of them, obviously, but a lot of them, that are, are doing a lot of these things, they they come to the realization late in life that they have wasted their life doing a lot of other really meaningless things. Like they've gone out and they've wanted to make director at their company or they want to make partner at their law firm or they want to do all this other stuff. And they realize that their lives are have been very, very empty on a personal level in a lot of different ways. And so they they don't really have, you know, their wives probably don't love them all that much. Like they're, they're probably estranged from their kids like all that kind of stuff and, and reverse the inverse for women. And excuse me, I think that they do it as almost a form of like self-fulfillment. Like I did this to do something that was more than just making a lot of money and being a fat cat in some C-suite and some, you know, kind of, you know, a cloud yeah. company or something like that. Of course. Do you think, do you, uh, I, do you think there's like a, like that kind of a role in there as well? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I obviously these people, you know, it's hard to it's hard to homogenize politicians in general because they are individuals. But I think generally, um, the types of people that enter, yeah, I mean, they're they're getting some sort of self fulfillment out of it. I mean, think about it. I mean, actual people are voting because they believe in you and they support you and your ideas. Like that is probably the single most gratifying experience you can you can have oh sure yeah. even if not all of them support you knowing that like more than 50 percent of people in a given district or even in the country believe in you and think that you are a capable individual of being a leader uh, i'm sure that would just be huge for your ego for your your yeah. sense of self-fulfillment your sense of self-purpose mm -hmm. um i'm sure certain individuals would just really get a kick out of it i'm sure they would too i think that's a very very interesting thing and i think that it kind of prevents it solidifies the rigidity of your personality which in your case does not really reflect you at all because i remember your political beliefs before you went to college your political beliefs now and a lot of them have radically pretty much done a 180 in a lot of, in a yeah. lot of ways after you after you did a lot of stuff and we won't say that what those are but you had a very very definitive worldview going into college and a very very definitive worldview going out of college and i think both of them are not out of ignorance. They're very, very well articulated, especially during this conversation, because you were able to kind of provide reasoning and thoughts behind your motives and why you support this one thing, for example, versus another thing. And so there's a lot of talk in the current culture around universities, around colleges, around the like quote unquote brainwashing of college students in terms of them following a predominantly left-leaning ideology of sorts. And as you who have gone through not only the university experience, you went to a very top tier university in Carnegie Mellon, but you went through the political part, the liberal arts part of the university of the college. Do you think that there is a component of either brainwashing or a predominant ideology that can really switch people's minds in ways that, unlike yours, are not coming from as pure of a place? Yeah, you know, I'll, I'll start with this. Um, you know, I am an extremely stubborn individual, you know, probably to a fault at times. However, you know, I'm also I'm also willing to learn, change my opinions when I'm, you know, especially when I'm exposed to different facts about the world. They do it all the time. I'll go on Reddit and I'll read something new about, I don't know, some Russian person or uh, in Russia wow. or something. I'll be, wow, that guy's a real scumbag. And, yeah. and, I'll, and then I'll read that it turns out that he's just Putin has been spreading misinformation about him and I'll change my opinion based on that fact, you know, yeah. um, or I, I truly, um, you know, I truly just learn, I think in university, I truly just learn more about the world, how it works. And, you know, I just, I just decided that this changed my perspective on the world. And, um, you know, I don't think it was the prof professors at all. Um, and I don't even think it was political bias for those that really even had any, most of them didn't really demonstrate that they had any, Oh, that's um, good. which is hard to do, especially given yeah, that I studied I like so. international relations, political science, you know? Yeah. Uh, and, you know, all that happened really was the scope of my knowledge expanded and I changed my opinion from that. And, um, you know, I really don't like the term brainwashing, you know, it, mainly yeah, because I, mean, I think it's, I think it's almost an insult to those who simply let knowledge, their knowledge guide their opinions. And, you know, for people who went to university, they're, they're just, most of the time, they're just learning more, you know, they're, they're, their exposure to the world, you know, they're becoming adults, they're going into a, most of the times a completely different part of the part of the country, or even a part of the world, um, to go to university. And so they're, they're being exposed to the broader, uh, the, the breadth of the world, you know, and, um, you know, I, I think it's honestly braver, you know, in a lot of cases for someone to change their mind than it is for them to stick to these same ideals and never change because, a lot of times this requires admitting that you were wrong or even misguided no. at times. And 
which is in and of itself just an extremely admirable act. I've always admired people who have who have admitted admitted their wrong and changed their minds on something. Yep. I always love it. Um, it just shows a sign. Of, uh, it really is a sign of personal growth. Um, you know, and you know, I also I, I also don't think you know people understand how little bias really will affect affect people's opinions as well. You know, I, I guess professors aren't some universally revered or worshipped entity. You know, they're they're there to they're there to present these simple um, objective truths and. And so the people, at least they're, they're supposed to, you know, in most cases, they're not always like that, you know, and there's always exceptions. Um, and so, you know, the, the belief that people are actually being brainwashed contains this key assumption um, that students are going to immediately concede their opinion for someone who they really don't know that well. Um, you know, people, people are stubborn. They tend to be naturally averse to the opinions of others if they disagree. And I think that this very fact shows that something other than brainwashing, bias, or propaganda is at play. And... You know, I, I guess the last thing the last thing I'll add is uh, that this theory of brainwashing tends to kind of be primarily pushed by people who seem to dislike the opinions that these students are shifting towards. And and so it's almost, you know, thus, I think it seems like it should be also be questioned as biased. This theory itself of brainwashing should be questioned as biased if we're supposed if we're to take the same approach that they're taking to, to, to professors yes. being biased. Yes, I 100 percent agree with that. I think that's a very. That's a very, very nuanced opinion. It's a very good opinion. I think that the other yeah. thing is that, you know, I think it's it's difficult to call. So for you, for example, like you, a person who has changed a lot of opinions going from, you know, your pre-college days to your post-college days. Absolutely. It would be it would be one thing if I were to look at your life and say that you cut off your family, you don't have good relationships with the people that you did before you left, like, you know, you, you hate your parents everything like this, that, that would be more, and that does happen. That concerns me much oh, yeah. more, but you have managed to remain very, very grounded in a lot of the stuff that has kept you grounded, mostly your family, your parents, your sister. Um, you, we were talking earlier about, you know, kind of the people that have reached out to you, our grandparents, my mother reached out to you, all that other stuff. And you were able to, you know, kind of talk back and have a conversation with her about different things. So yeah. you, you've been able to successfully connect your, post-enlightened self to your pre-enlightened self and married those two pretty harmoniously from what I can tell, which yeah. is a very, very hard thing to do and which I think, to your point, defeats the brainwashing point. And so it's a very, very interesting thing to take because there are two – you have to look at what the holistic picture, not just the opinions of the person because the person is more than just their opinions. They're, their values, mm -hmm. their upbringing, their product of their environment, their family, all this other kind of stuff. And Absolutely. Yeah, it's very, very interesting to kind of see that. So I think I thought that was a very, very good point by you. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's you know, it, it, one of the, there's a there's a passage I was reading at one point, you know, and it's it talks about how when we prosecute criminals, should we be focusing on rehabilitation rather than, um, rather than punishment, right? And, and there's honestly something to be said about the proposal that certain crimes, obviously not all crimes, um, define circumstance and background and, and really with context can be explained Whereas other crimes, uh, rape, for example, is more of a, that, that's a crime where it's more, that's your character. That's who you are. That's the type of right. person you are when you commit a crime yeah. like that. Mm -hmm. But like, if you're just stealing something or doing something like that, you know, right. it, there's a broader context to why you're doing this and there might be an upbringing or something of that sort. And so you, you most likely be reformed and changed. Um, you know, a good example, I, I was, uh, I was nominated to be uh, a member of my university's academic review board. Um, so we, reviewed cases and decided potential punishments for students who were caught uh, cheating. 
And one of my one of the the things that I was kind of critiqued for at times was by other board members was because I was considered lax. And you know the reason why was because I I considered punishment the key to the key to punishment is understanding why this person should be punished and where they're coming from. Right? Context is key to understanding pretty much any action a person takes and. With cheating, a lot of times, what if their parents are just very strict or almost borderline abusive to this kid right. that they need to perform high and excel? And yeah. if this kid doesn't score an A plus on this test, he's going to lose his family. Right. You know, there, there are a lot of context, contextual things to this that we need to understand. And I think with opinions, it's people don't understand that like like some actions, opinions are similar. And and even if an opinion can be seen as reviled or or despised by some. Um, because a lot of these opinions at face value are just, you know, can seem really not great. There's something, there's a reason behind why this person believes that. And so, you know, they may, they may have just grown up around people who have repeated it to them for their whole life. And then they're just going to believe it. Right. So there's this person, there's more to this person than just an opinion that they might have really just been cultured into believing. Yeah. Um, you know, and so there's a lot more to people than just an opinion. And you, if you, people can understand that, um, I think I think it would make it a lot easier for society to kind of rehabilitate itself. I agree with you. I, I think the example, I guess not I guess the the actual example, like the real your lived experience basically saying that you were on the academic review board at your university. And I think that was a, a probably one of the best examples you could have named because I remember yeah. in the business college we had I think a third of Fisher, which is the business school at Ohio State University, were international students. And a lot of them were coming yeah. from Asian countries like India, China, Japan, and you know that's a I mean you know probably better than anyone that is a rigorous academic culture. I mean they are like yeah. you know, no nonsense. School eleven months out of the year, like you are going to be a doctor, a lawyer, a somebody like in Austin. Yes, you're going to be that type of a person. And so it's I extremely, remember, yeah, they, yeah, they have remember, the most rigorous section secondary education curriculum in the world. Yeah, um, better far better than the United States, but it's yeah. also borderline too much. It, it, I think it is too much in a lot of ways, but I mean, there's yeah. no denying the result. At the end of the day, there's no denying the results. It's but I remember it was it was interesting because I was a teaching assistant for my accounting courses in my senior and junior year, and I remember during that time, uh, the only people that got caught were international students. And I remember, like, I remember we had I think five cases, and all of them were international students. Yes, and I thought that yeah. was very very interesting, and that's not really anything about the culture or anything, but it does say something about the culture because. I'm not like this is not. I think it would be too simplistic of an observation to say, "Oh, this person's an international student; they're no, they're more prone to cheating." It's like, well, you could say exactly. that exactly. It's a very flawed argument. Yeah, it's a very flawed argument because you have yeah. to say, like, okay, this kid put his balls on the line to come over to a world that he did not know, a language that he did not speak, a culture yes. he was not a part of, that he did not grow up in. He's probably terrified of coming back a failure. He's going to do everything he can to succeed. And if he makes a mistake and doesn't study enough for an exam and he wakes up the morning and goes, oh, shit, I need to really, really pull something here to kind of save my ass on this, then, of course, you're probably going to have more probability to cheat than doing all that kind of stuff because you have more to lose from not doing well than someone like me or you hypothetically, I would say. Exactly. There, there's, yeah. yeah, exactly. Like my parents are – my parents honestly criticize me more because I'm too hard on myself than than because I'm not I'm, – I'm slacking. But there are some parents that, you know – no, enough is never enough mm -hmm. um and so it's just it, it's really sad um 
And and I'm really I'm I'm glad you brought up you know the international student thing because a lot of people look at international students and they say oh they're more prone to cheating, you know that kind of thing. But it's it's not about race, religion, where you're no, from, any of that. It is all about context and it's about circumstance, right? It's, it's all about circumstance. Like these kids are coming from places where there's extremely high suicide rates, um, especially among students. Um, secondary education exams are extremely rigorous. Sometimes sitting in a room for five to six hours at a time. Um, it's, it's brutish or, or brutal. It's, it's really is just brutal. Yeah. And, um, you know, I mean, for instance, the sky universities in South Korea, very high level educational establishments. And if you don't get into one of those, you, your opportunities significantly decrease. And a lot of people have committed suicide because they didn't get into these. And it's, it's really sad. I read wow. stories about it all the time, um, in international yeah. news, news sites and stuff. And it's, it's really is tragedy. Um, and so yeah. I'm glad, you know, having, having compassion for these people's backgrounds, and you know, some, going back to politics, you know, having compassion for why someone believes this, and you know why they think the way they think um, or feel the way they feel. Um, there's a lot of there's a lot of you know things. There's a lot you can tell behind that. And sometimes, you know, you can't judge a person's character by some of the opinions they hold, even if they may not be great opinions. You know, right. in your eyes, or you know, yeah, even even the QAnon people. And I think the um, the other thing that that was um, so. Fast forward past the kind of the scope of your transformation, you go into university and you land a really, really badass internship. You work for the attorney general's office in the United States government, which at the time was Bill Barr, even though you didn't work directly for Bill Barr, you worked in his office, if I am phrasing that correctly. Was, is, that, is that right? Well, actually, um, actually, I didn't get through that, go through that internship because I got offered a research position at uh, the oh, Woodrow Wilson okay. International Center. Yeah, oh, so yeah. I, I was working for the Woodrow Wilson International Center, um, which is oh, uh, a really good, it's a good think tank. Um, and I worked on um, I worked on legislative politics, um, and it's actually a really interesting topic. I went over um, my my uh, supervisor was just wonderful, and she's a scholar in um, gender gender politics and like representation. And so she was going over gender quotas, and so like uh, gender quotas, uh, race quotas, like if you basically require that a certain percentage of your Congress represents the the minority group or just gender or race or minority group um, in general uh, for that country. Like, how, does do do their legislative actions, do they create laws essentially that represent their their group? Um, so mm -hmm. if you require a gender quota saying like, um, I don't know, like one fourth of Congress has to be women, do those women actually enact laws that represent the women? Do the do the end does the end actually or do the means uh, actually um, kind of fall to the ends? Yeah, and or uh, the, or the women, Yeah, or the women qualified to even be in those positions in the first place, and if not, get better women to do those things. Exactly, exactly. And so ah. these gender quotas, these gender quotas pushed, um, and these race quotas push like putting people in to like represent the proportion of the country that was of a group. And it resound. The answer was resoundingly yes. That all of these the, these gender quotas actually do work. That they do help. Um, yeah, it was very interesting. All the the legislative documents were in Spanish, so I had to read all those and go over all that stuff. And um, you know, just uh, code like whether what they helped issues that kind of stuff. The legislator that proposed it. Um, it was a really it was a really fun gig. And um, it, it once again just kind of goes to goes to show that like. Some politicians can go in and help people, and and it's all about the individual. Cool. Yeah, that's that's really really awesome. And I think that yeah. was that kind of your okay your your monopoly moment, like pass go collect two hundred dollars, like keep on going with the 
argument that you should be involved in politics was that was that a like jet fuel on top of the already propelling rocket to go into that thing like you loved it so much that you wanted to be like okay this is what i want to do i want to really focus on this and want to really go pursue this into the future was that the basically the, the last straw for you in that sense i think for me it, it more or less confirmed that we need more people in congress we need diverse perspectives to really make mm-hmm. congress or to really make the american legislative atmosphere thrive um, instead of stagnate. And so I, I think it's just a really big thing. Uh, I think it was a big, a big source of proof for me that, that this, there is hope and that this can work. We just need to find a way to cycle out politicians. Were the, were the people that you work with, the other students that you work with inside of the Wilson Center, were they of that mindset of you in terms of not, I would say not your mindset in case of your opinions and your thoughts about things, but were, the, was that, picture that you play into that like kaleidoscope of different ideas and philosophies was that represented in the people that you interned with so actually i was one of the only interns so i um okay. I, only, I worked in the latin america center for um for the wilson center and so a lot of the other students worked in other centers so i was the only intern at the time for the latin america center and so i didn't unfortunately get to see like any students i talked with a couple because okay. on different floors and stuff but we never really like got to know each other or anything like that yeah okay Cool. Yeah, I was I was going to say, so like, did you know anybody from your school that went through that internship program? Or did you meet anybody? In, like when you were in Washington, you interned in Washington during that time. And yeah. did you meet anybody that was that kaleidoscope represented from the people that you spoke with and talked to and interacted with for the most part? Yeah, so when I was in D.C., um, I was living, we, we have a Washington semester program. Uh, CMU actually, it's not super well known, but we have a, a satellite campus in Washington, D.C. where oh, we... Do you? Yeah, we actually are. Uh, our campus is actually the building that is right next to the Supreme Court building. So we can see the steps oh, of wow. the Supreme Court from our classroom. Um, that is so cool. It's super cool. Yeah. And so um, our campus is super nice. We, we have like some around 20 kids that do these programs and we all live in an apartment together. Um, That's awesome. it's, it's, it's not co-ed, though. I mean, we're, the guys live in one big apartment and the girls live oh, okay. in another big apartment. And, you know, all the guys I was with, we're, they're great guys, every single one of them. And uh, all their perspectives were very diverse, but we all respected each other's opinions. Because really, when you go into political science, you, you politics is your life. Like, you literally, yeah. like, talk about it all the time. All the time. And you yeah. really get a chance to suss out other people's opinions. Um, and you get you just kind of learn to respect them. Because you really get, you get to know them as a person first before you really get a chance to, like, truly understand their opinions. So basically, yeah. by the time you really get to suss out what their opinions are, you already respect the person as a person. Yeah. And so uh, we all really got along. We just joked around with each other, debated, but it was all healthy. Do you think that that general acceptance is more of our generation just being wanting to be nicer to one another? Or do you think that, in part, it's just because we're so exhausted and just sick of all the the nonsense going on in the world that you just want to say, like, okay – you think the way you want to think. I think the way I want to think. Let's talk about things and not want to rip each other's throats out halfway through the conversation. Like, do you think it's a, it's a mix of the two of them, or more weighted towards the other? Versus you know, unfor- unfortunately, I actually I I have the a pretty strong belief that we're in the minority. That I don't think our most of our generation actually respects each other's people's opinions because if I, they I, did I, I truly, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, if they did truly, we wouldn't have we, wouldn't have. we still wouldn't have so much division. I mean, it it's. It's just, unfortunately, I mean, I've met many, many, many people who um, unfortunately are not like that. And it's a shame, but we, we, we may be in the minority, but if the minority gets a little bit of a voice here, we might be able to convince a couple, one or two people, you know, and that's enough. Just one wow. or two extra people, you know, uh, a day or something, you know, that 
you know, we can respect each other's opinions and that, you know, someone, a person is more than just their opinions. I mean, obviously there are certain things where it's like, okay, you can kind of judge someone if they're like blatantly racist, sexist, or homophobic. Cause there's like, yeah. you can understand like, okay, they grew up around yeah. racist, sexist, homophobic culture. But like, at the same time, you're kind of like, uh, you know, I think that's like pretty fair. Um, but you know, I, I think with other opinions, like, you know, abortion and stuff like that, where you understand yep. like, how this person was brought up if they were brought up like saying like a missionary or something obviously mm -hmm. you can understand why their deep opinion would be very deep-seated um sure you know um and, and you know yeah. obviously not everyone's going to agree with you but at least trying to understand where they come from you can better fight to protect people's right to certain things like sure. with abortion and stuff like that mm -hmm. yeah definitely you can understand where people are coming from and really orient yourself towards or away from them and then try to convince them either way to kind of go along with what you want to say which is cool mm -hmm. yeah so you've gone into law school you're now orienting towards the political arena and that's been a long long haul because not only did you do an undergraduate degree you did a specialized master's program you've been studying for the lsat for years all the way through all this other kind of stuff and I have the sense, and this kind of is the way in a lot of majors that are really tough, like a lot of business majors that are really tough, the medical field, obviously, the law field, obviously. Um, what has kept you motivated and disciplined in that pursuit throughout everything? Because you've kind of had, I remember you got you used to get really, really bad test anxiety whenever you were studying for the yeah. ACP, or I'm assuming when you're studying for the LSAT, it was really bad. Like you had tutors over all the time. Nice. You, were, you were wanting to do all that other stuff. And so I know a lot of people who, are and i think myself included that are kind of like you know not test people but you were still able to overcome those hurdles really go through a rigorous rigorous collegiate program and a master's program and a, obviously yeah. one of the toughest you know entry exams in the entire world in the lsat what has kept you motivated disciplined in that pursuit and throughout all of the setbacks and the failures and the successes to keep you both hungry and motivated throughout all those other things you know, a lot of times it's, it's, it's about the people, you know, um, it really is for me. Um, you know, I, I went through a time in my life, you know, for a long time, especially most of my childhood, really pretty much before college where I, you know, I just felt hurt, excluded, you know, forgotten, you know, and, and, um, I don't want anybody to feel the way I did. And I personally made it a mission a long time ago to try and better the world for these types of people. And the thought of making someone feel included, remembered, hopeful, and, you know, like they are a part of society and that society has a place for them it that's more than enough for me you know to keep working as hard as i possibly can towards the goal ahead yeah awesome and i want what is that goal then for you like what what, what is the ultimate goal throughout all of this like you want to so you it's always such an interesting point i think you're kind of there now honestly where you're like i'm gonna go in and pass the lsat i'm gonna go and pass the lsat pass, okay you pass the lsat you did really really well on the lsat like for me mm -hmm. go and get a good job go and get a good job go and get a good job got the good job have all this stuff going for me now. What is the goal throughout all this? And we've heard of, you know, we've talked about them. We've heard of lifetime politicians like Mitch McConnell and Nancy Pelosi, you named both of them earlier. Is mm -hmm. that what you want to do? Because I think there's a lot of people who get into politics and then they get, for lack of a better term, they get stuck there. And they kind of want to just, you know, stay there and hang around. They do all this other kind of stuff for better or for worse. There might be some good ones out there. I, I don't, probably couldn't name a couple off the top of my head, but what is it that you want to do and your goal with getting into the political arena? What is your ultimate goal throughout all of this? And is that what you want to be a lifetime politician and to really make lasting change throughout like a John Lewis or somebody like that? Uh, you know, uh, no, you know, I, I, that's definitely not what I want. I don't want to be, you know, a lifetime politician, not because I, like, I'd love to be a politician for my whole life, but I know the right thing to do is to step down when the time comes, you know, I always say, you know, 
it's like I call it a personal anecdote or a metaphor or whatnot, but I, I always say uh, politics is like a party, you know, um, when you enter, you know, it's all great. Everybody's so happy to have you. And then, you know, you hours go by, you keep slamming their beer and having their chips and, you know, eventually they just kind of want to kick you out. You know, you're not, you're not really welcome yeah, anymore. It's, it's like three in the morning. They want to yeah. go to bed. You know, they're puke in the bathroom. There are people like half naked outside, you know, fucking each other. You know, yeah. People, it's like a party. People right. just, people just want to, they, eventually they're going to want to kick you out. You, there's a such thing as overstaying your welcome. And I think politics is the prime example of a career sure. where you can most sure. definitely overstay your welcome. And, um, you know, I personally think that, uh, you know, all politicians, judges, officials, you name it, they should be sub subjected to strict term limits in order to in order to keep a healthy cycle of perspectives throwing flowing within our system, you know, um, you know, this would allow our legal and judicial system to become much more representative and, and efficient as well as much less archaic. Um, you know, mm -hmm. if I'm lucky enough to find a spot in politics one day, you know, I'm, I'm going to push that goal as far as I can go um, until children can grow up happily and healthily and don't have to feel unsafe, excluded or forgotten, you know, because of the race, gender, sexuality, identity, income, you name it. You know, and I, I'm going to make sure people are no longer punished for things they cannot control, especially that's a big thing I always believe in. And when the job is done, you know, I will watch us, the sun set on a grateful universe, you know, if you get that reference. Well, I hope you don't run our government like Thanos. That'd be kind of terrifying, but that would be that no, would be a little fit no. on, that would be that would be, no, no dictator. No, that would be horrifying. I don't think I would be, get, I don't think I would get access to the nuclear codes. No, the population no. that 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 would not be like snapping <laughs> half the population. Absolutely. Yeah, that would, that would not be good. So um, do you think, and we've talked, I think, kind of generally about this throughout the whole time we've, we've been on here. Do you think that going into politics does anything meaningful for everybody? We've talked about like the forgotten American, right? The people that are from yeah. the Midwest or that are from the Deep South or from, you know, even places in California that are far, that are farmers or ranchers or do stuff like that. Yeah. Do you think that going, you going into, and people going into politics in the political arena, does anything meaningful for everyday people at scale? And if so, what do you think that is? Yeah, you know, um, absolutely. I, I think if good young people with new diverse perspectives to bring uh, enter the swamp, it'll grow less muddy. Uh, the solution yeah. to any flawed, broken, or like imperfect system, you know, is, is just the change of the people running that system. And I think that if we kept a stable flow of both people and perspectives in our political system, this, things would change for the better, like much better, better than ever uh in our before in our country's history and and i think you know law will be fairer and more representative institutionalized racism would be better addressed by people who went through it taxes would support the lives of the people who they affect the most while preventing those who they affect the least to take advantage of tax loopholes and leave the text bur and leave the burden of the taxes on the rest of the nation we could address the needless and senseless hatred towards each other and the skepticism of the truth and you know, the solutions that new people in politics can bring are virtually endless, you know, and yeah. it, it really is, it really is truly a shame that the career of the politician has become so demonized when, if we can just convince Pete, the right people to, to take up this mantle and to, to go into this role, um, it could be thought of something much, much better. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I think the, yeah. the, the biggest thing that sticks out to me throughout this whole interview is that you are a much, I, I knew you were, you were this poor, but I mean, you strike me as a remarkably hopeful and optimistic person. And, and so what is, what is driving that hope and optimism? Is it this young group of people that you have personally interacted with that want to get involved in the political arena, whether they want to be elected officials or they want to be around politics, they might want to run a think tank like you worked at, they might want to do all these other type of things. Is that the primary driving focus of that optimism and hope? Or do you think it's something in the culture or do you think it's something with a lot of other things? What do you, what do you 
you think that is? You know, I, I think it is in part personal. You know, I do want to help people and that that desire to help people comes from, you know, my my upbringing, you know, like I had, you know, everything, you know, uh, theoretically that someone could ever want. You know, I had a great family. I had, you know, um, we we I didn't grow up under low income. You know, I had like but I there are other things that just can't be bought and things that you can't have, you know, like I didn't have friends. I grew up, you know, bullied and, you know, treated like you know, dirt and, you know, I had teased, you know, and, and you kind of, you kind of growing up, you kind of, you kind of learn to like, let it go. And, you know, but sometimes, you know, I, I think sometimes that, that pain, you know, ran really deep and you, you kind of want to make you kind of, for me, at least it drove me to want to make sure that no one ever has to feel the way I did, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, you know, obviously I have a lot of, you know, past issues and, you know, trauma and hurt. And, you know, I'm not going to obviously go into those, but, you know, um, it really builds you into a better person in the end. Um, I mean, some obviously not a waste for the better, but, um, you know, for me, it, I want to, I want to use my experiences to make the world a better place and help people and, and make sure that the people, people don't have to go through some of the stuff that I ever did, you know, and yeah. feel the way I did. Yeah. That's awesome, man. And I think what I want to end on is, yeah. What do you think, politics means more and less of and if using that who do you think should enter politics absolutely well i can tell you politics you know politics needs more people who do it for the work not the career um you know if you if you think you're going to make it rich become a brain surgeon if you think you're going to build your resume become an entrepreneur if you think you're going to bring up fame take up acting or if you think you want fame uh, you know take up acting you know this should be a job for those who want to bring happiness to others and serve the country and you know, the broader, the broader world really. And rather than that's just something that you should be doing rather than just bringing money in your coffers. You know, if we can just spread this belief, I truly do believe things can get better. Awesome. Well, with that, man, Austin gets everybody. Thank you for coming on my friend. I really appreciate it, man. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you everybody. And thanks to you all for listening. Open your mind Own the day value economics out now. See you guys next week. Stopping, hopping like a rabbit When I take the Nino Ross, you know I got to have it I lay back in the cut, retain myself Think about the shit and I think it well How can I mix my grip? And how should I make that nigga straight?